I'm sure if you're like me, you've heard people say over the years to you, or perhaps you've said yourself, I'll forgive, but I won't what? I won't forget. I'll forgive, but I won't forget. That injury, that person that said those terrible and awful things, those people that did those things to me, I'll forgive them, but I will not forget what they did to me. And it isn't no, simply enough, it isn't simply enough simply to say, well, okay, you're forgiven, but um, don't expect me to forget it. I don't know if I've ever shared this particular story with our church or not. I, I'm not sure. But this is a very, very profound illustration, and I don't even remember where I read this at. But a number of years ago, I read about two sisters, two sisters, two unmarried sisters who lived together. And because of an unresolved disagreement over an insignificant issue, they stopped speaking to one another, which is one of the consequences when you don't forgive and forget. And since they were unable or since they were unwilling to move out of their small house, they continued to use the same rooms, eat at the same kitchen table, use the same appliances, sleep in the same small bedroom, all separately without one word. In fact, a chalk line divided their bedroom right down the center. And each would come to go, each would cook, each would eat, each would sew, each would read without ever stepping over into the sister's territory. Through the black of the night, can you imagine, they could hear one another sleeping soundly. They could perhaps hear one another mumbling in their sleep. And they coexisted in this grinding silence for years because they were unwilling are unable to be reconciled to one another. To be forgiving and forgetting this silly offense. Pastor Ron, I can forgive, but I cannot forget. I have this internal filing system that I call a memory and it's doubtful that I can fully for, forget completely the things that I need to forget. And this is what somebody writes about this. I want you to listen. The human mind is a fabulous computer. As a matter of fact, no one has been able to design a computer as intricate and or as efficient as a human mind. Consider this. Our brains are capable, this person writes, of recording 800 memories per second for 75 years without ever getting tired. I have heard some persons complain that their brain is too tired to get involved in a program of scripture memorization. I have news for them. The body can get tired, but the brain never does. A normal person with a normal human brain is using less than 2% of their brain, scientists tell us, this person writes. And of course, some demonstrate this fact more obviously than others. The point is, 
The brain is capable of incredible amount of work and, re and it retains everything it takes in. You never really forget anything. You just don't recall it. Everything is on permanent file in your brain. Because of this facts, facts like this, we need to understand, and I'm not referring to forgetting in the technical sense, in the literal sense, rather I'm, I'm talking about forgetting in the biblical sense. Now, how is this done? How is this accomplished? Very simple. I believe the Bible teaches, I believe the Bible teaches wholeheartedly that we have to refuse, we have to refuse to keep score. We have to refuse to keep score. You won that argument, and you won that other argument, and you got me over here, and I'm keeping score in my mind, but next time around, it's my turn to win. Do you understand how human beings in family units, in the workplace, often one-up on one another? And this is called keeping score. And you have to refuse to keep score. And I want you to notice 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. We spent 10 weeks through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is verse 5. Love has good manners and does not pursue selfish advantage. It is not touchy. It does not keep account of evil or gloat over the wickedness of other people. On the contrary, it is glad with all good men when truth prevails. It keeps no record of wrongs, another translation says. It doesn't hold on to grudges. It doesn't bring them to mind. It says it doesn't keep account of evil or gloat over the wickedness of other people. What's saying is, is that we're not to keep score. This is Webster's dictionary and this is how it defines forget it says to lose the remembrance of to treat with inattention or disregard to disregard intentionally to overlook to cease remembering or noticing to fail to become mindful at the proper time and that's the thought you don't continue to focus on the injury you don't continue to focus on what the person has done to you, you intentionally, willfully, sometimes you're praying constantly, God, give me the grace to overlook this particular offense. You don't focus on it. You let it go. You don't remember it. You intentionally overlook it over a period of time. He's saying, Pastor Ron, am I supposed to put my head in the sand and let everybody take advantage of me and let everybody do wrong stuff to me? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about enabling people. That's enabling people to do bad things to you. You're paying them a disservice you allow them to do bad things to you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your spouse, your kid, your child, your grandchild, the next door neighbor, the person that you go to church with, the person that you work with, and they say something and they do something on occasion, not on a regular basis, and it ticks you off. And it put, rubs you the wrong way. He says, it keeps no record of wrong. It lets it go. And um, <clears throat> this is a terrible, terribly hard thing to do. 
I, I know about that. Number two here. I, I believe the Bible also teaches that we're to be bigger, bigger than the offense, bigger than any offense. And I want you to look at that passage of Scripture found in Psalm 119, verse 65. Notice in your message notes. This is a psalmist, 119, 165. Those, excuse me, I'm so sorry I've got this frog in my throat. Those who love thy law have great peace, and nothing can cause them to stumble. If you like to underline, circle that word, underline that word, stumble. The psalmist here declares that those people who openly love God's word, now, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. I know the answer, but how many of you love God's Word? You, you love, the, you love the, God's Word, and, and you want to apply it to your life. It says, those who love God's Word, attempting to apply God's Word to your life, using scriptural principles, using scriptural understanding, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Thank you. Lubrication. Will not, notice it says, will not stumble. Will not stumble. And will have uh, great measures of shalom, God's peace. And in addition, they will be big enough to resist stumbling over the offenses of others. Stumbling over the offenses of others. Now, I spent um, a number of weeks on Sunday night talking about the life of Joseph and He's such a great character for me because there's really nothing said, bad said about Joseph other than the fact that he was immature and he made his brothers jealous. And um, maybe one or two other things. But here was a man, a young man, 17 years of age, and he was falsely accused by his brothers. They got jealous of him. And so they wanted to kill him, but they threw him into a pit threw him into a pit. And then they sold him to slave traders. And these slave traders brought this young man, tore him away from his family, tore him away from everything that was familiar, tore him away from all that stuff. And he ended up as a slave in Potiphar's household, this Egyptian nobleman. And over a period of time, Joseph, because of his obedience to God, because of wanting to follow after God, was raised up, and God blessed him in that household there, and became the head steward, and steward trusted him with all kinds of things, with his fields and with his finances, etc. But Mrs. Potiphar wanted to have sexual relations with him, and he wouldn't do that. He was an honorable young man. He was a man full of integrity. And as a result, she falsely accused him and threw him into prison. Now, I'm describing this very, very briefly here this morning. Thrown into a pit, thrown into prison, and he didn't do anything wrong, and he kept trusting God, all because of his brother's jealousy. Now imagine, years later, the pharaoh, the number one ruler of that time, elevates Joseph to become prime minister. 
Joseph interprets a dream. And after he interprets this dream, he tells Pharaoh, hey, there's going to be seven years of prosperity and there's going to be seven years of drought. So prepare for that. Fill the rain bin full during their time of prosperity. And so he becomes this prime minister, as I said, second only in, uh, to, to Pharaoh himself. Years later, during this drought, guess who appears before Joseph? The same brothers who threw him into a pit, who sold him into slavery, who did everything they could do to rub Joseph's name out, who told their father falsely that he had been eaten by a wild animal, killed by a wild animal. And so the same brothers that did all that stuff appeared before Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph. Of course, he was 17 years of age. Now he's a grown man, perhaps with a beard on his face. But he recognizes his brothers, the very ones that betrayed him. And he tests them. And through this series of tests, his brothers pass with fine color, so to speak. There are two scenes that are very memorable to me from the life of Joseph. The first scene, when he reveals himself to his brothers initially, and he sends all the people out, all of the Egyptians, and it says that he fell on them. He grabbed a hold of them. They probably were shocked. It's Joseph! I'm your brother! And he wept so loud that the Egyptians heard him several doors over. The second memorable scene in the life of Joseph is that after his father died, those same brothers came to him, nervous, uptight, and they said to him in Genesis chapter 15, verses 19 and 20, are you going to have us killed, Joseph? And Joseph said, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of me, brothers. Am I God to judge you and to punish you? As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. God made something good out of the bad. He didn't keep score. He didn't seek revenge. He had the eternal perspective, the bigger perspective. He forgot. He forgot in the biblical sense. He didn't bring it up. They're the ones that brought it up. And he said again, what you meant for my harm, God meant for good. The saving of many lives, God made something good out of it. Somebody has said, I said this last week, but forgiveness is like the fragrance that the rose sheds on the hill that crushes it. You say, why do you bring that up for, Pastor Ron? Because there is a cost. The deeper that you're hurt, the deeper it costs. 
to forgive. But what's the alternative? This is what Amy Carmichael, remember that musical person of yes? This is what she says, and I want you to listen to this. This is a wonderful quote. Amy Carmichael said a number of years ago, she said it best when she wrote, if I say, if I say, yes, I forgive, but I can't forget, if I say, yes, I forgive, but I can't forget, as though the God who twice a day washes all the sands on all the shores of the world, washes all the sands on all the shores of the world, could not wash such memories from my mind. And I know nothing of Calvary's love. How can we, as professing Christians, as I've heard people all my life in all the churches I pastored say, I can forgive, or yes, I can forgive, but I'll never, ever forget. How can we say that? She says, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. The third thing here, we're talking about forgiving and forgetting, and, 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 and that's not seeking revenge. That's not seeking revenge. I want you to look at that scripture that Jill read earlier. Um, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 on here. Paul writing, he says, Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Don't get even. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. And nobody knows exactly what that is. If you find a biblical expositor who says they know what that is, they don't know what they're talking about because there's so much disagreement about that. But the idea is, do not overcome what? Do not be overcome by evil, verse 21, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Don't seek revenge. Don't seek retribution. Don't try to get even. Joseph said, I'm not God, and I'm not going to judge you. I think that this is healing, if at all possible, uh, to not only forgive the offense, but to forget it. And, and, and to let it go. I don't know where I got this illustration either. I, I came across my desk years ago, and I, I, I can't remember, but I want you to, to listen to this. This is, this is uh, one of those letters uh, in, in one of those books that I have someplace. And this is what someone writes. This is a true story of John Edmund Haggai about his tra- son's tragic birth in the life of his son. Just listen to me. I'll read down through it rather quickly. The Lord graciously blessed us with a precious son. He was paralyzed and able to sit in his wheelchair only with the assistance of a full-length 
body braces. Why? One of the nation's most respected gynecologists brought him into the world. Tragically, this man, overcome by grief, sought to find the answer in a bourbon bottle rather than the Bible. Due to the doctor's intoxication at the time of his delivery, he inexcusably bundled his responsibility. Several of the baby's bones were broken. His legs were pulled out at the growing center. Needless abuse resulting in hemorrhaging of the brain was afflicted upon this little fellow. I thank God for doctors. This man was a tragic exception. He was banned from practice. During the first year of the, our little boy's life, eight doctors said he could not possibly survive. For the first two years of his life, my wife had to feed him every three hours with, with a Brecht feeder. It took a half hour to prepare for the feeding, and it took another half hour to clean up and to put him back to bed. Not once during that time did my wife ever gather the house for any diversion whatsoever. Never did she get more than two hours sleep at one time. You see, my wife, formerly Christine Barker of Bristol, Virginia, had once been acclaimed by some of the nation's leading musicians as one of the outstanding contemporary female vocalists in America. From the time she was 13 years of age, she had been a popular as a singer and constantly in the public eye. Hers was the experience of receiving and rejecting some fancy offers with even fancier incomes than the marrying and the slaughtering Baptist pastor with no church pastor at that time. And then after five years of marriage, this tragedy struck. The whole episode was so unnecessary. Eight of the leading uh, nation's leading doctors said that our son could not survive. From a life of public service, my wife was now marooned within the walls of her home. Her beautiful voice was no longer enraptured but enraptured public audiences. Now she was saying lullabies to our little deformed son. Had it not been from her spiritual maturity where she laid hold of the resources of God, I think that she would not have made it. John Edmund Jr., our little son, lived more than 20 years. We rejoice. We rejoice that he commits life to Christ. And I attribute his commitment to Christ and his mature Christ and her mother, his mother, who had mastered the discipline of living one day at a time and allowing, he writes, no bitterness, no grudges to enshrine her heart. And it can be done. But it takes God's grace and help and don't say that you'll forgive and you can't forget. Technically, that's not that's true, but biblically, that's not true. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together.